Hello and welcome to the Board Shorts podcast brought to you by Get On Board Australia, the destination for new and aspiring board members and company directors. This podcast is called Board Shorts because boards and governance can sometimes be a dry topic. So I'm bringing you valuable, easy to digest information on board and company director related topics, concepts and ideas in 30 minutes or less. Whether you're looking to join a board or thrive in the boardroom, this podcast is designed just for you. My name is Lisa Cook and I'm your host. As founder and managing director of Get On Board Australia, I hope to make this podcast and the information I share valuable and useful to new and aspiring company directors and board members like you. The conversation about board diversity generally starts and stops at gender balance. That's been a wonderful place to start. However, we both recognise that diversity is much more diverse than just gender. This conversation that I had with Amy Bottoms, a principal of Catalyst Advisors in Seattle, Washington, covered the pros and cons of legislating for gender balance on boards, whether people are still interested in board diversity beyond gender balance, simple ways that a board can start creating a diverse cohort, how the best boards build, maintain and leverage diversity around their table, and how diverse candidates can position themselves to get on a board. Amy brings 25 years of experience building board of directors and executive leadership teams for innovative life sciences companies. Prior to joining Catalyst Advisors, she was an engagement manager at a leading global executive search firm where she specialised in recruiting board directors general management executives and senior commercial and technical leaders across the biopharma, healthcare, IT, medical technology and healthcare services sector. Amy began her career at Microsoft as a corporate researcher before entering the executive search industry in 1996 as a research associate. I wanted to mention something before we get into this episode – Amy and I recorded this before the death of George Floyd sparked worldwide protests against racism. As I have learnt, we have our significant issues in Australia, with Indigenous Australians facing challenges similar to those of Black Americans. This is a global problem that we all have a part in solving. It's not enough to be against racism. We have to be anti-racist. I've learned that although I can hand on my heart say that I am absolutely not racist, there is actually a lot that I can be doing to educate myself and proactively take actions in my personal and professional life to support people of colour and other diverse individuals. I encourage you to take an audit of your own life and see if there are ways that you can be more active in your support of diverse individuals. Part of what we can do as board members is to widen our selection pool to draw out, engage and select diverse candidates for board positions. I hope this conversation with Amy is received with the intention in which it was produced – 
to encourage and support boards to improve their diversity beyond gender and to encourage anyone who identifies as a diverse person to pursue a board career. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It is so fantastic to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Ah, so am I. So am I. So let's get started. Um, I'm really interested. I know a lot of people here um, in Australia, you're coming in from the US, um, that there is legislation where you are um, in a number of states, I believe, around mandating a certain number of women on particular boards. Um, so can you tell us a bit sort of in general what that encompasses? We don't really have legislation like that. We have a lot of, a lot of initiatives here, but not any legislation. Um, so a bit about that. And also what do you see are the pros and the cons that come from that? Sure. It's been, it's been a really interesting past couple of years thinking through board diversity when it comes to legislation. So the first state in, to legislate diversity on boards was California. And their rule is by the end of 2019, uh, companies that are based in California had to have at least one female director. So they define diversity as gender diversity. And then that increased by 2021. So uh, companies with five board members have to have two female directors. And if there are six board members or more, you have to have at least three female board members. And, and the punishment for that is, is a fine of $100,000. So it's a not insignificant amount of money. Uh, but California recognized that there was a problem. So prior to this law, the reason for the law was about a third of California companies had all-male boards. Uh, 632 companies, 84.5% uh, of the directors were men. Wow. And so now, you know, a year later, past this ruling, um, California boards have 212 percent women. So that's real increase. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's been meaningful change. And other states are starting to look at legislation uh, as well. But, it, you know, that so it's, it's terrific at increasing um, the visibility for women. It's, it starts the conversation. But there are downsides to this, as you mentioned. So there's been lawsuits challenging um, this legislation and this government mandate. It also ignores other forms of diversity. So California has a very large Hispanic population. What about those individuals in the state? What, how do you represent? Yeah, how do you get them on the board? So it doesn't address the entire diversity problem. And you would have thought I would have heard a little bit about women, you know, sort of thinking this might be harmful to them. I personally haven't heard that. Uh, what I have heard uh, is, is really lots of women wanting to be on boards. So they uh, view this as a very positive thing, that this is a way to open up doors for them. It's a way to really increase um, their representation on boards. And, you know, honestly, if, if legislation was the only answer, we would have seen a lot more parity. Um, in Norway was the first country to enact legislation requiring fem female board members in 2005. So now they have the highest numbers, 41%, but it took them 15 years to get there. So wow. legislation is not the only answer. Mm, absolutely. 
absolutely. And I'm really interested, um, what are some of the sort of pushback or the complaints that that organisations and board members were were saying? Um, you did mention there's a lawsuit out, not surprising. Um, what is some of that pushback centred around from men and women, if any? I think it's just the the requirement that it's it's defining people by their gender. Yeah, it's uh, it's demanding that uh, that certain companies have to have a board makeup that looks a certain way, and and punishing them for that. And I think companies feel like it's their own decision, um, and it's you know they know what re- skills are required for their board, and you know it's really they believe kind of turning things back to where it's defining everything by a very black and white issue of men versus women. Mm. Which ironically isn't really diverse at all. <laughs> Which, exactly. <laughs> a, as you mentioned, um, California having a very high Hispanic uh, population, that there's frustration within that community around, well, if we're going to talk about diversity, let's really talk about diversity. And I've seen very tiny green shoots here in Australia about cultural diversity entering the conversation, which I think is fantastic. And I've always advocated for board diversity with a capital D, not let's call it diversity and then talk about are you this or that and Mm -hmm. leave the conversation there. So do you feel like are you seeing an appetite for board diversity beyond just these gender type uh, metrics. Yeah, I think it's a really great point. Um, and green shoots, I think, is a great way to describe it and, and what I've been seeing as well. It's diversity we all know comes in a lot of different forms. Gender diversity is easy. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's half the population. You can very quickly identify somebody's somebody's gender and how they identify through their use of pronouns. Um, and I think the conversation is really expanding. And for me, one of the most important pieces um, of of views that I've seen in the last few months that to me is even more important than the legislation is what some of the investor groups are doing. And Mm. so I'll point to Goldman Sachs um, really made a very impactful announcement earlier this year that as of Mm. July 1st, they won't take companies public in the US or in Europe unless they have one diverse board member. And Goldman, I thought, was very prescient in defining diversity as gender identity, race, ethnicity, and sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't just define it as gender. They have a a very broad umbrella of diversity, and they want to see that on the companies that they're taking public. Mm -hmm. I think because, you know, they've now started paying attention to the data um, that with increased diversity, whether it's gender diversity, uh, the the IPOs that Goldman has led over the last four years with a woman on the board have performed better. Um, they look at companies that have gender diversity and uh, LGBT policies uh, can be linked with higher stock returns, higher firm value, and better productivity. So I think people are starting to recognize that diverse leadership leads to better performance. Mm, absolutely. And I would think... Um, more of a, a an audience that you can serve, there's um, more recognition that we choose to identify ourselves on a variety of different, um, in a variety of different ways. And 
if a company can work to address the needs of a certain group of people, how, however they want to define themselves, um, I think is great. And it, the thing I, that comes to mind is when uh, Tiffany started advertising um, same-sex couples in their mm-hmm. engagement and wedding type uh, ads that you see. And I just think that that's so, I mean, it just makes sense, right? Yeah, it's true. And, and I'm a recruiter. And, and so I now have uh, people that I'm recruiting to companies asking me about how their culture is when it doesn't embrace diversity. And if they're not seeing that at the board level or in the management yeah. team, if you have a webpage with a board that's all white men, women that you're trying to recruit or diverse candidates are going to say, why is there no diversity here? And so it's certainly been something that candidates, especially in a very competitive talent market like I'm in in biopharma, they're noticing it, they're speaking up and they're asking about it. So it can be a really powerful tool in just showing the corporate messaging from the top down through the, up the company. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. The other thing, I know you mentioned looking at the board and seeing old white men. What we're noticing now is just old white people. Yeah. (laughs) So I just question like, is that really, really what we're saying? Can we look at that and go tick there a diverse board? You know, I don't really think so. Um, And especially if there's an argument that I hear a lot of people talk about um, and I've also spoken to this is that I think certainly in the first instance that boards should try to nearly be a representation of the customer base that they serve or the audience that you serve. What do you think about that particular sort of consideration? You know, I think it's it's important to think through your customer base. It's essential from the board perspective. But I think you boards also have to challenge themselves to think about what their customer will be in the next five or 10 years. And so the best boards that I see are forward-thinking, are, are assessing what their um, skills and capabilities are on the board today and are those the right skills to bring them into the future tomorrow. Mm, I think that that's a great thing to add into the mix as well. That certainly makes a lot of sense. So with these, firstly, I think I want to say, do you feel like there's um, in general across most boards and board members, let's think about the traditional uh, power structure, old white men, uh, let's call it for what it is. Do you feel like they're beginning to, or that there's in general, an appetite to create more diverse boards and diversity just beyond gender? Do you feel like they really want to do that? I do. And I, for a couple of reasons, I think they're, they're realizing, as we talked about earlier, that the customers, uh, you need to make sure that your board reflects your customer base. Uh, you need to make sure that your board um, reflects the business that you want to be from a recruiting perspective. Um, and, and so I think the genuine goodwill is there for most boards. I think they recognize that it's good business sense, that the diversity of, of robust um, thought around the board table is really useful for the company management and the company growth overall. But I think they're also, you know, seeing, you know, Goldman Sachs is a great example. Investors are starting to speak up a little bit. And I think one of the biggest problems that we've seen historically um, that's caused this cycle of 
you know, the, the same sort of look around the board table is that people went to their own networks, you know, that a lot of board recruitments came from who do you know? And then it's it's a very small circle. And I think also, in addition to that, that you needed to have prior board experience. Mm. And so without that stamp of approval of you're an experienced director, it was very hard for new people to come onto boards. And, and I think a lot of that just um, is, is starting to slip away. So in addition to Goldman, uh, other institutional investors um, like Vanguard and BlackRock are starting to vote off overboarded directors when it comes time for the proxy season in the mm. United States. And so they're saying, if you don't have the time to commit to these boards, um, you know, you we need new thoughts around the board table. And I think that leads to diversity. I think it leads to more first-time directors, which is a great way to, to include and increase the diversity on your board as well. So there's a lot of different factors playing in, but I do see a lot more appetite here in the United States um, just not only from investors kind of raising these issues, but companies as well becoming more aware of it. Mm, I think that's fantastic. And it it's, to me, it's nearly like the first hurdle that you have to jump over because yeah. if there's no desire there, no matter how many policies or initiatives or supports or incentives, it's just not going to happen. So I think that's what you need at first. But then what do you see the best boards doing about creating a more diverse cohort around the table? Where do they start? Yeah. So there's a couple different places. Um, so I think really important, and I, I'm hopeful we're going to start to see more of this, is starting earlier in company formation, bringing in a diverse board. So as you've probably noticed just through your own work with boards, a lot of private companies uh, their boards initially consist of the management team that founded the company and the venture capital investors. And most venture capital investors are men. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they come onto these boards, bring great expertise about managing money, raising capital that's so pivotal for these companies. Um, but but that's where you see the least amount of diversity on these boards, that they look very, uh, very similar from the profiles of people sitting around the board table. So that's a great opportunity to bring in uh, different experiences around building companies, whether it's commercial experience or um, HR experience, just thinking a little bit more broadly about um, more, uh, more shared expertise that can come in at the board earlier on. And I think we're, you know, this again goes back to the Goldman move um, with the IPOs. So uh, one of the most fascinating statistics to me is that uh, in the last year, since April of 2019, um, for newly public companies going through an IPO process, there were 108 women directors to 483 men. So wow. you can see that those boards are still very heavily weighted towards men. Yeah. And so I think that that's a great opportunity to start early to bring in more mm -hmm. diversity. I think another thing that boards can do is to really assess your board regularly. Mm. Really take a critical eye to what kind of skills you have on the board, whether it's tenure of board members, do you have the right mix of new board members, sort of the three to five years of, of board experience, and then the the, the more seasoned people that have the historical point of view, is that the right mix? Uh, do you have the right skills to help your company get to the next level? You know, really survey and assess um, whether those, uh, those experiences of your board members 
are well suited to help your company reach the next level, whatever that might be. Um, and then again, I think it goes back to being open to first-time directors. Um, focus on the skills you need and teach board governance. And that will get a lot more people engaged. And I think it also will bring in a lot of new first-time directors that really have the energy and the ability and the desire to be part of the board that also bring a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. A lot of ideas there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what I'm also interested in, after all of the work um, bringing in diverse candidates, and I, I see it a lot here, um, <clears throat> and it could just be the maturity of different boards and sort of where we are here in Australia, I mean, um, around the whole board diversity journey, let's call it, is I see that there's a lot of uh, boards that bring in diverse people, um, largely that is around male, female, um, but also there's a bit of age as well, so bringing in younger people into the boardroom. But they, and isn't boards getting stuck in their old ways, is that they don't do anything once they bring these diverse people in. They think that's it. We're, we've done. We're a diverse board now, but I don't see them actually using it. So mm-hmm. so how how then, I mean, what do you see some of those really great boards do to actually leverage the diversity that they've worked so hard to achieve? Yeah, and I've heard that from diverse members of boards that they oftentimes will be the only Um, diverse member of a board. Mm -hmm. And then they become sort of the go-to for all things diversity on the board. And, (laughs) you know, they're the spokesperson for diversity on the board. And and that can be, uh, you know, a a sort of isolating place for them to be. Um, You know, they didn't come onto the board to educate everybody else on the board about diversity issues. They really (laughs) came to bring their very specific set of experiences. Uh, So, you know, I think that once you bring on your first diverse board member, I think you really have to continue down that path. I think um, you you need to really make sure that you're bringing in um, a whole spectrum of diverse experiences, whether it's gender, whether it's um, age, whether it's geographic, that whole diversity can be, be defined in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so one great way to do it is to ask your new board members as you're doing internal recruiting at the company, Uh, management referrals. Oftentimes, you know, I I love to source women on projects that I'm recruiting for because women always refer great other women. Mm -hmm. And so leverage their own networks, which will be different from um, your traditional board that's been together for a long time. Um, Help them solicit other new board members for the company as well. They can make a lot of new introductions for you, which again helps with recruiting of new talent. Um, But I think it's also, you know, just sort of the best boards really do embrace um, that openness to, you know, they don't want to hire out diversity. You know, you could easily bring in a, a, you know, a a member to look at a problem for you or do a McKinsey study. Mm. But I think really embracing bringing in that viewpoint at the board level um, shows a company's willingness to really challenge themselves to do the best thing for the company overall. Mm, mm. A lot of what I hear is people who are that lonely diverse candidate or diverse board member is that they 
they put forward their perspective on whatever it is that's being talked about, their diverse perspective, hopefully. Um, but a lot of times I hear hear back from them that they feel like it's just ignored, that they just sort of glossed over or the ideas you put forward don't really get off the ground until someone else says exactly the same idea and then it's, oh, that's brilliant. So how would you, if you can talk to that, how, what would you recommend to that diverse person on the board that, that's feeling a little bit frustrated in that regard? You know, I think it's, it's recognizing that it is going to be a process to, to really increase diverse thinking around the board table. Um, but I think it's also not being afraid to continue to speak up mm-hmm. um, and point out that shareholders are demanding diversity, um, that investors are demanding diversity. There's been, there has been a lot more scrutiny around these issues, as I've alluded to earlier. And I think, um, y- you know, I think that I really do feel like the attitude and the the temperament is changing. And I think people are recognizing that. And, you know, legislation has helped a, a little bit in at least raising the awareness. But I think just the world that we're living in now, where you look around, it's it's hard to ignore that it's a much more diverse place than it was 20 years ago. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, before we get on to talking about the diverse candidates themselves, because I'm interested in focusing on them for a minute about how they position themselves for boards. But I think to close off the whole conversation about boards and how they um, can build and maintain and leverage diversity, what what would you say are the sort of top three things a board should be looking at or working on or something that they can do to start moving towards becoming more diverse? So I think it's it's about making sure that your board reflects your customer base today. Uh, I did a recruitment for a company a few years ago uh, that was an all-male board mm-hmm. and their products were primarily uh, serving women diagnostics. And so not to have that viewpoint from the from the female perspective at the board table was sort of um, you know it, it was it was something yeah, very obvious. easy to kind of overcome right mm-hmm. bring in that perspective at the board so I think look at your customer base look at the segments that you're trying to address um, with your company and bring in that perspective I think it's about leveraging um, relationships of people in your company whether it's management team members or other board members to expand your own internal networks to make sure that you're being introduced to people that may not necessarily be in the, the traditional paths that you've traveled in. Um, that's a great way to, to really make sure that you're um, increasing your diversity around the board and the management team. Mm-hmm. And I think finally, it's, it's really about um, being willing to, to really look a little bit outside of the box. It's, you know, not look for the traditional suspects. You know, don't think that just because you've had a, you know, prior public company board experience that that all of a sudden makes you the best director. I think it's really challenging that assumption and, you know, realizing that, you know, being a good director is something everybody has to do at one point in their lives, that everybody has their first board. And so give people the opportunities to really, um, you know, uh, have that experience for themselves and and really contribute in a meaningful way. Yeah, brilliant. Love it. All right. So last sort of questions for you. Like I said, talk about the diverse candidates. Um, And it's interesting when we chatted before 
uh, we hit record about, I wanted to ask you about how, how women and how other diverse candidates prepare themselves for the boardroom um, or prepare themselves to get onto a board in the very first instance. And I had asked you whether it was any different to how anyone else <laughs> would prepare themselves to get on a board. But w- what are your views on, on that? How, how does a person, whether and anyone, prepare to get into, onto a board? And is it different for diverse candidates? Yeah, you know, the, the advice I always give to candidates is the exact same, whether it's a, a man or a, a woman or just any, any person interested in a board. Uh, it's, it's really get out there and let everybody in your network know that that's something that you want to do with your career. Yes. And so marketing yourself and being forward-thinking is absolutely hands down the best way that you can do it by going to your manager, by going to your board members at your company. Those are the people that will hear about those opportunities and they may not think that that's something that you want to take on at this point in your career. So you really have to be your own best advocate when it comes to um, finding a board. Uh, There's only so many boards that I can put people on as a recruiter. Any recruiter, their number is limited, but you have a very broad network, so really utilize that. And and I don't see women having to do anything different than men. Um, You know, again, there's a lot of men that I deal with that are first time wanting to be first time public company directors, and and I you know help them just as much as I help the women. Um, There are I have seen quite honestly there are programs tailored towards women getting on boards and, um, you know, specifically to, you know, first-time women directors. And and I have heard some pushback from women that, you know, why do I need to spend a great mm. deal of money to be trained to be an effective board member when, you know, my, my neighbor who's been on a board never had to do that. So it, it, it really comes down to your attitude about it, quite honestly. They can be great programs for raising your visibility, actively marketing you, um, you know, increasing your own networks if you're a little bit limited to an industry. But honestly, I don't think you need them. I think, you know, really just being well-prepared, well-read, um, not being afraid to ask questions, those are going to be the things that really differentiate you when it comes to, to um, impressing a board and finding your first board. Absolutely. And that, like you said, that applies to anyone who's interested in joining a board. But it's interesting, the the women-only programs um, like you a little bit of a question mark over those. And I find that the best types of those sort of programs um, are ones where you're actually connected with existing board members. And mm-hmm. there's that, like you said, that opportunity to gain some visibility um, and to gain that visibility with the right people. And it just comes back to like what you said, it's all about your network. It's putting it out there. You have to sell yourself as a yes. potential board member. And that's for everyone. That's not just for women. That's not just for culturally diverse people. That's not for younger people. That's, you know, that's everyone needs to do that if they're interested on a board. So I've just, I've been part of diversity, um, board diversity centered programs that largely focused on 
women and a critical element to me because I saw it was the downfall of some of the existing programs out there. Like you've mentioned, they just focus on because you're a female, the problem is that you don't understand governance. And so as soon as we train you about governance, all of the boards in the land will want you on their board. And yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> that wasn't the problem, it turns out, because um, the what happened from those, the consequences from those programs wasn't quite what um, either was expected to happen or what was imagined would happen, whatever it was. So, yeah. And, you know, if if you feel like you want more information about governance, then a program can be really great for you. There's a lot of universities here through Stanford or, you know, large academic great institutions here in the U.S. that will do sort of an introduction to boards. And I've talked to a lot of first-time board members that have done that. But going back to the diversity thing, it's it's kind of useful because it's a really diverse cohort. And like yes. you said, having the right mentors, um, interacting with you know people across different industries, men and women, um, those can be really um, rich experiences if if you have the time and and to invest um, in those kinds of programs. And so I think it's really about finding the best one for you, but not not necessarily thinking that one that's just skewed towards you know, your particular um, diverse type of diversity mm-hmm. may be the only answer for you because you're right. It's about the, the people you meet, um, the mentors that are offered through the programs that can be the things that really leverage you for that first board. Absolutely. And what you have to offer them. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not just the fact that you have this element of diversity about you that's going to be the one single thing that's going to get you on that board. It's like we said, you're selling something. Are you selling something that people want? And if they're looking for a particular skill set or expertise and you don't have it, you are not going to get that role. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And it's, it is true. When I'm brought in to do a board recruitment, it's to solve a very specific business need. It's about bringing a very specific um, viewpoint or experience. And a lot of times now, these days, that does end up being a a diverse candidate. A great example is I worked with a a large global biopharmaceutical company that was looking to launch their very first drug. It was a very um, rare indication to treat a small population around the world and very expensive. So this was a really innovative, highly expensive drug. And they didn't understand how the payer system in the United States worked. And so they, at that board level, wanted to bring in that expertise and and viewpoint of how does somebody think across the table and Mm. what is important to them? And so they brought that in at the board level. And so I helped them recruit in a very successful leader of a a plan, a, a payer plan for healthcare in the United States, who also was a woman who really did a terrific job at kind of bridging those two worlds. And I think that's what the really best board recruitments are. It's about helping companies think through problems they need to solve and and who can really shed a new light onto that problem and solution to help the company grow. Yeah, and that's just brilliant to hear that they're reaching out geographically as well. So, And, and that made complete sense. Like you said, they want to know about a particular um, facet of the United States and how this, what they're doing applies here. And it would just make sense. Um, And I think that that's going to happen more and more with boards. Um, 
where, you know, we've been, <laughs> boards have been thrust into understanding that technology is available um, to be able to talk to anyone, anywhere, at any time, really. And I think that that's going to open a lot of doors for potential board members outside of the country. And so I think that's a real valuable thing for boards, but also board candidates have to understand that the selection pool just got a whole lot bigger, a whole lot deeper. What we advocate for is like you were talking about is really start with the skill set that you need. What is that that the organisation and the board needs at this time here and now, but in that sort of short to medium term future Mm -hmm. and setting them up for long term it can't just rest on a particular metric. There needs to be some substance there. Um, And I think that makes practical sense. And it's going to stop, if you're that diverse candidate, it's going to stop you feeling like you're on that board just to tick that diversity box. Absolutely true that, you know, you, you are bringing a very specific set of accomplishments in your own career that can be applied to help a company understand a a problem and a solution in a new way. So I think that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, the interesting thing out of all of this is, as I hear you talk about, you know, expanding the global pool as well is, you know, will this mean that board members cycle through more quickly? Will the average tenure of a board member go down because companies are moving so fast and need to bring in new sets of experiences to meet new technologies, new ways of communicating, We'll have to see what the future holds. But uh, in any case, it's uh, exciting to watch how boards are are evolving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So on that note, thank you so much, Amy, for joining me today. It's been um, enlightening. It's been a pleasure. And I've loved hearing about the perspectives from the United States on board diversity. So thank you so much for sharing today. Thanks. I've had a great time. Thanks, Lisa. I wanted to jump back in here and mention that this conversation was based on our personal experiences from supporting people into board roles over many years. We've found that the principles of breaking into the boardroom are universal. However, I can appreciate that our experiences have been those of two white females. In the context of boards, that has actually been considered a diverse perspective. But I have a strong suspicion that these experiences are probably different to other diverse candidates. That's why I would love to hear from you about your experiences, either having broken into the boardroom or if you're actively attempting to break into the boardroom. If you identify as a diverse board hopeful from any background, culture, ethnicity, etc., I want to hear from you about your experiences. Please reach out to me at lisa.cook at getonboardaustralia.com.au. I would greatly appreciate hearing about your boardroom experiences. You've reached the end of another episode of the Board Shorts podcast. Connect with us at getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast where you can leave your requests for future guests and topics to cover. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive information and resources to help you thrive in the boardroom. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes or your preferred podcast listening app to subscribe, rate and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. 
I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.